Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Hey everyone, welcome along to the show. I'm glad you could join me today as we get the chance to speak with Dave Sewell, who shares some fascinating insights about leadership and business. Here's an excerpt from our conversation. Leaders get promoted because operationally they're brilliant and they get recognized for that because operationally operational brilliance puts money on the bottom line. So when, when that happens, then they, they'll get pushed up the ladder. And yes, they might be leading some people, but again, if they're operationally brilliant as part of that role, they'll get pushed up again. Mm-hmm. And they're there operationally brilliant, but now we've got a partnership at the top of an organization that's operationally great, but can't lead the way out of a paper bag. Mm-hmm. The whole business model since the industrial age is just fundamentally broken because we're driven by profit, not by people. Mm-hmm. And where I want to change is that if, you, if, if a leader gets a, a, a promotion, it's because they are brilliant with people, not operationally brilliant. Mm. Well, before we jump into this interview, for those of you who haven't listened to a Seeds episode before, this is the 109th one, which means there's a lot of content in the back catalog. And I'd encourage you to check out some of the other stories of people who are doing great things in our community. And there's a lot of resources at theseeds.nz. Now let's get into this conversation with Dave. Well, it's a pleasure to welcome Dave Sewell, who's the founder of Scaling Up New Zealand. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Um, On this show, what we do is we talk about what people are involved in today. And I'm really curious about your um, helping business leaders in some of the research you've been doing into some of the struggles they face. Um, But I'm really also interested in finding out about your journey and how you got to where you are today. Right. (laughs) So if we could just start with telling us a little bit about where you're from. Hmm. All right. So I was uh, born in a small place called Dingwall, which is in the highlands of Scotland, north of Inverness. I spent most of my childhood growing up in a place called Stonehaven, which is on the east coast, just south of Aberdeen, which is the oil capital of the UK. I... Yeah, so I, I've got a I've got a sister, uh, Sharon, who she she still lives in Scotland. She's living just north of Inverness. What was it like growing up in Scotland? Because my my own Cold, anecdote wet. about this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my own little anecdote is my wife and I moved um, to the UK, yeah. and we were debating should we live in Edinburgh or London, and oh, we went Edinburgh to. With that. Well, yeah, uh, probably in retrospect, but we went there and I think it was December the 10th or something and the sun went down at like... <laughs> what, two o'clock in the Yeah, it was like 2.30 <laughs> and we're, we're looking at each other going, hmm, how many hours of daylight is there uh, here? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, good point, good point. I mean, cult, I mean... But it's what you're used to, right? It is what you're yeah. used to. And yeah, we would... Uh, it was always interesting. And so when I started working, I started working in retail. And uh, and I would, my first job was in a sports retail uh, company uh, inside a shopping centre. So we would turn up at 8 o'clock in the morning, pitch black, maybe half past 7. Mm. And we'd leave at 5 o'clock in the, in the evening, pitch black. Mm. And we'd never see daylight. And, we'd, and would, this would go for weeks and weeks. You, you'd see daylight on your day off, or you wouldn't see daylight anywhere else. But Scotland in itself, was uh, as, a, as a child, it was pretty good. Uh, I remember the... Interestingly, recently, I think it was last summer, the, they had a heat wave in the UK mm. and they were referring to uh, the heat wave of 77. Right. 
or 76 yeah and i remember that it was uh ah. we had a big 50 meter open air pool uh ah. in stonehaven it was one of the few left in the country open air and uh, uh i remember getting burnt from head to toe Huh. There was no such thing as sunscreen back then. Yeah, right. Very, yeah. very rarely would you ever need it in Scotland. Uh, I remember that summer really well. And, and, and back, but back in the M days, uh, we did have warm summers and we had really freezing cold winters. And we'd be digging our, right. digging our, ourselves out of our back door with three or four feet of snow. Wow. There was always power cuts. We had paraffin lamps in the house, and uh, for when that happened. Uh, but on recent decades, that's not been the case at all. Yeah. It's interesting when you talk about global warming and things. Yeah. That there is a huge, there's a definite change in mm. the last 20, 30 years. Mm. And what do you think, sort of, the, the culture of Scotland, like this is really broad brushing, <laughs> but what, what do you think that um, was like for you growing up, or how has it influenced the person that you are today? I, I, I left, I decided to immigrate from Scotland and basically the UK in general uh, because it was very much uh, a culture of you live to work rather than coming across New Zealand where you work to live. Mm -hmm. So there was, there was no option, there was no opportunity really you, uh, to do much other than work. Uh, and that culture, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. that, that, I, I got introduced to, to New Zealand in the late 90s and thought, oh, this place is amazing. It's mm. heaven on earth. Mm. I was heavily into mountain biking and hiking and I fell in love with the South Island when I saw Lake Tekapo and Bukaki. And everything I'd heard about it, it was way more laid back and, you know, and people had jobs so they could go to the hills and or they could go surfing or they could do, which it was just, Wow, it's a different concept. A place like uh, Christchurch, for example, right? <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Well, yeah. I mean, you've, you've got the you've got the beach one end, and yeah. you know, two hours drive, and you're in the you're in the heart of the mountains. Yeah, it's it brilliant. So, was that introduction? Was that back in Scotland that you saw pictures and things, and you thought, uh, "I want to go there," or no, were you on a trip? One of, one of my friends, I'd, uh, she was a, a triathlete, uh, a triathlete, and and she had just done the Scottish coast to coast which is particularly grueling. Right. And and there was a Kiwi there who said, you need to come and do the the New Zealand coast to coast. You'd ah. be amazing at it. And so so she came across uh, with her husband who was support. And when they came back, they were raving about it. So mm. her husband was going to come back anyway and, and looking for property. And I went, I'll come along with you. Wow. And that so was this it. was just based on it the just, conversations. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Huh. And... Uh, they must have really sold it. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah, to be fair, they had they had some good snapshots and yeah. and uh, and I and I came across with my my road racer uh -huh. bike. I intended to do quite a bit of cycling, and yeah, and like I said, and we we took a ticket tour from Christchurch down to Queenstown, mm -hmm. and that was it. So wow, I'm sold. Yeah, and there was a little immigration office called Malcolm Pacific with the company uh -huh. in uh, Cashel Street, I think it was. Uh, uh, when I came back to Christchurch from Queenstown, and I just, oh, I wonder, I wonder, right? I just wonder. I'll what just would ask the take? question. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and, and I was the right age, right qualifications. And yeah. So how old were you at that? At I that was time, twenty nine, twin, 
Yeah, 29. Sort of late 20s, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so that was in the sweet spot from an age perspective. Right. So we could contribute, I guess, longer term to the community. Right. And, uh, to the country. And uh, my qualifications, I'd just come through... Uh, I'd, I'd put myself back to college. So mm-hmm. I'd already... I'd just done a higher national diploma in leisure management. So I thought, right, that's great. That yeah. works with your with your uh, uh, industry so well yeah that was it yeah and what did your family think like the the scottish based family yeah when you i guess you're what you're having dinner you give them a phone call and say hey, yeah, look, for- we're- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how did that play yeah it, it came from left field because i i we weren't we're not a close family and uh, i i think my sister was a bit shocked but intrigued right mother was uh, a woman of few words and said nothing Right, <laughs> but later found out that I don't know if she was overly impressed. Right, that, that was going, but she knew she was never going to change my mind anyway. So she just let me be and let me do what I had to do. Uh-huh. Uh They've both been over here since, uh, which has been cool. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's great. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So you arrive in a new country. Mm. To what extent is that a chance to remake your identity in terms of who you are? Because no one knows you here, right? Like, how did that play Honestly, out? Honestly, it you? was. That's an interesting question, and uh, it was actually quite invigorating mm-hmm. uh, because you're right because i i my my whole history my my childhood etc was was not one that it, 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 it's just it's just, it's a hard it was it was a hard i i was brought up in a council estate my dad was an alcoholic and a, and violent with it as well and, and mm. i bore the brunt of that uh, i i didn't do very well at school and i went to the army straight from school right. and had a plan, 20, 21 year plan to stay in the army and then come out and still be young enough to have a career. And all that fell through mm-hmm. uh, for medical. Uh, I was diagnosed with having asthma, which was wrongly diagnosed. But oh, okay. they, and they admitted that afterwards, but they wouldn't let me back in. Huh. So then I had to get a job and I had no qualifications. So I got a job in a shop. Uh-huh. And so it was all. And, so and you'd it, experienced a lot of disappointments, completely, sort of, hugely. Yeah. And 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 through school, I was told I'd come to nothing. My father said the same thing. And so you're fighting all this, mm. all this. You're going to be a bum. You're going to be a failure. You're going to be that. And and even some of my teachers told my sister that, who was two years younger than me, right through. So it was quite when I had the opportunity to come across. It's almost like shutting the door on that, uh-huh. going like, "Oh, I can be whatever I want because nobody knows me here, and literally nobody knew me here. I knew one other person in New Zealand, right? Uh, when I came across, uh, so it was re- it really was a fresh start. Yeah. Uh, so how did yeah. you go about, I guess, building the new identity, or <laughs> was it a conscious thing? Like you got off the plane and thought, "This is it. The I'm going to be more. I don't know. I'm going to be more outgoing now, or I'm no, going to get into different things." Or the only thing I. I remember saying to myself was, right, I've got a new country here. I'm not working in a shop ever again. Right. To hell with retail. I've had a guts full. Right. And I really had. It was it was starting to wear me down in the UK. Yeah. So the first job I got was working with Hannifins. Okay. In their shop. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's what I do. Uh, so much for that plan. Uh, huh? so that, well, too much for that plan. But then I, and then I moved into another, uh, I got, uh, I got a job with uh, Telecom Business Directions, I think. That, and it was a franchise of Telecom. It was okay. owned by a guy out of Dunedin. Yep. And that was good. It, it was still a store, but I got to play with gadgets. And I'm, I'm uh-huh. quite a geeky individual, although I never got an opportunity to really do anything from a career with that. Yeah. 
but it was good so i we op- i opened up that i was the manager there and i opened up that store and uh, and our our quest was to try and infiltrate the, the the commercial sector in Christchurch from a little shop in Triangle Centre, which was right. interesting. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and that was it was good because that opened me up to business to business sales. It was different. It wasn't retail. It wasn't just retail. It wasn't just customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that opened me up to that, and then got headhunted from there and on to. Uh, uh, another company uh, selling just business to business. Uh-huh. So then I became an account manager and had right. a territory as well. So then I started to see more of the South Island. So I'd, I was I had my territory ranged from Blenheim to Christchurch and then over to the West Coast, uh-huh. uh, and that was really good. Yeah. So that was selling. So that was that was sense. selling uh, two-way radios and mm-hmm. and uh, radio repeater technologies into yeah. the back of beyond and putting yeah. up communications and things like that. So the the although it was a slightly older older uh, technology, it it was good. It was just because it, it got me to see the country. So I would yeah, I would got you out. I would stick my bike on the the back of my company car and and take some time out when I was over on the West Coast and right. do a bit of mountain biking and stuff. So it was good. It, 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 it allowed me to feed my, my, my hobbies as well as start to open up that business connections, which I, I didn't know they would be valuable at the time until yeah. later on, obviously. Yeah, well, that's the the other the flip side of arriving in a new country is that you don't know anyone, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's that right. There's no, there's no deep history of running into someone in the street like, hey, we went no, to high school right. together. <laughs> but they always say that your your net worth is your networks, and of course, right. So the flip side of that from a business perspective was worth nothing because I had no networks. Either, yeah, so sure. Yeah, you had build to build them, them up. from scratch. Yep. Yeah. And just tell me a bit about that sales sort of job and going out and meeting people and selling things. What do you think are the, the, the important elements for a salesperson, like to, to become good? Mm, mm. What are the key things that you need? Yeah, that was... It. I always had a different approach to sales, to be fair. I, I, and I never viewed myself as a salesperson. Mm-hmm. I was always a... I used to call myself just a trainer, and and my approach to I always had an authentic approach to uh, to selling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we didn't have a solution that didn't fit for the client, then I didn't sell it. Right. Which used to frustrate, I think, some of my previous bosses. Mm. Yeah, and it was a case not you. You got the, the doors open. Sell something. Mm. Now they must want something. Mm. Well, actually, they do, but we can't provide it. So what? I'm not selling it. Mm-hmm. So that's, I guess that comes then back to my, I, I guess, uh, re- reflects my own brand and my own mm. honesty and authenticity around that. Uh, and, I, and I think as a, as a salesperson, if, if you can be one, authentic and, and, and be client-centric, so, you know, if you've got a solution for a client and you're passionate about what you're selling, then wait, you don't need to sell. You, if you're passionate about what you know and what you can provide for a client and you yeah. can see that you can solve their problem, it's a, it's a done deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't, uh, but it's the, it's the gray area where, uh, oh, it doesn't quite fit, but we'll just do it. 
Yeah. And, and I was never. You actually need, need this, yeah. even though I secretly know that you probably don't need yeah, this. And, and, I, and actually, I was, you need that thing over there. <laughs> that's right. And yeah. you know, and it's that behavior that gives salespeople bad names. Yeah. It? And, and yeah. nobody likes a salesman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so I never used to refer to myself as a salesman, and I never partook in that type of selling. It sure. was It was like, well, you know. What's your problem? If you've got that, yeah, okay, well, we can address that problem. This is how we would do it. Right. And here's the cost involved in us helping you helping you yeah. deal with that problem. Yeah. It's an interesting way to frame the terminology, though, isn't it? Because words are important and how you express mm. it is important. So if, if you're on a sales call, it's quite different to... I'm, you know, training or helping people discover yeah. what they need or yeah. things like that. And it's interesting on the sales call because I, I'm completely, utterly hopeless at cold calling. Mm. And I reckon it's because I'm phoning someone because without even knowing what their problem is. Right. So, so why, you know, in my mind, and it is my, this is just my, my own thinking that stops me doing this, but, the, you know, why would I waste their time? Mm-hmm phoning them and interrupting that day when actually I have no idea what the problem is. I think I can sell something, mm-hmm. but actually I don't really know. Mm. So, so, under- I, so I never did it. Yeah. <laughs> I hate cold calling. <laughs> yeah. So underlying that, I guess, is that relationship is important and you, want to, hugely. you want to know the person before you offer yeah. them something. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and, and I grew my own business based almost purely on referral. Mm. Uh, I, I, I I was never audacious enough to walk into a company and go, I'm a business coach and I know you're the owner and and you know you you can't be running your business that well. You need my services. I mean, right. how? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a word of mouth thing. Yeah, yeah, it really is, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you you I mean you can't walk into somebody's business and say actually you you can't run your business properly. Um, but I've got the answers for you. Mm. I, well, I'd, certainly I've never been able to do that. You Let's put it that way. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just not, there's, no, there's nothing authentic about that. Yeah. You know, so it, so it was just, it was a very, very slow, uh, slow buildup yeah. in my business. For, yeah. Well, let's talk years. about your business mm. and sort of how you transitioned from what you were doing, going around and cycling all these places yeah, <laughs> no as well yeah. as doing the job. Um, yeah. What sort of time frame are we talking about? And then how did you transition yeah, into what you're doing it, it now? It was an, inter- an interesting journey. So, I'd, uh, so we'd, I did some, th- th- as, a, as a key account manager for these telecommunication companies, and there was a couple of them there. And then my partner I had at the time, wanted to uh she 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 wanted to have a uh like a a lifestyle type job and we started looking and uh there was a, a kennel in Catterick came up just south of Christchurch called Bunny Lodge and so we we bought it <laughs> so here's my two feet into running our own business mm-hmm. the two of us so my partner did the the accounts and I was the face of the business and then and although we hadn't planned this at the time, I ended up setting up all the health and safety stuff and putting the development programs in place for the staff. And mm-hmm. funnily enough, uh, sounds obvious now, knowing what I do today, but yeah. that was just what we did back then. Mm-hmm. And we turned around that business. And so when, when we bought the business, it, we had five-star agri-quality accreditation, which was a division of MAF. I don't think agri-quality still exists now. Mm-hmm. And uh, But when we got there, I went and introduced myself to local vet and I said, oh, we wouldn't put anything to Bunny Lodge. They beat the dogs and drug them and all sorts of things. 
Whoa, 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 hang on, I'm new owners here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, we, were t- we haven't recommended MD go there for years. I went, oh, okay. <laughs> Any chance that we can have a conversation with the vet then and um, maybe get the vet to come around and give us some pointers because this is just not what we want for the business. So the vet, which was uh, Nick Page out uh, Ralston, came around and had a really good chat. But and as we were going around the premises, we were finding evidence of the, so they had hose, uh, they would be a couple of foot long pieces of hose, and they were just stuck in the kennel doors periodically around the facility. Mm. And we never, we couldn't figure out what they were for, and we were throwing them out as we were finding them. And, and Nick had said, oh, that's what he used to beat the dogs with. Mm. And he always had them handy. Wow. And then we went into some cabinets, and we found some bottles of drugs. Mm-mm. And they were they were sleeping pills, but if you give the, those sleeping pills to a dog that's got a heart complaint, you can kill it. Hmm. So it, it was really we, so we we paid a real handsome price for this kennel facility, thinking right. we'd taken on a top notch thing, this and actually it was terrible. Yeah. So that was fine. So with with the support of Nick, uh, we we tidied the place up. He he took all the drugs off of the premises that mm-hmm. we found, and 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 off we went. And we got quite creative with our marketing, and uh, we uh, we put some dog swimming pool out the front, and we had ten acres, so we fenced a lot of that off, so we okay. had massive running areas for them. At the time, which was in two thousand and two, we we had a website, so we revamped the website, and then we had a place where people could, when they were on holiday, they could log in and see photos of their animals oh. exercising and stuff like that. So this is. I mean, we were way ahead of our time on here yeah. and I was messing with video but I just couldn't get the video thing to work really right. well and stream it on because we were almost still dial up at the time it was yeah. maybe slightly better than dial up but yeah. not much <laughs> uh, and so we completely uh, reinvented the kennel industry hmm. and and we won the telecom home business of the year award supreme winner and that was a nationwide award two years later and mm-hmm. And we got to the finals of the Champion Country Awards with it, but we got pipped to the post in that one. But so, so we did really well, and uh, and sounds and like you some, learned a lot. <laughs> we did. <laughs> we learned an awful lot. Yeah, yeah very much so. Yeah. And and made lots of good contacts, and and yeah, and that was a good journey. And we did that for four years, and then we sold at the end of four years because there's something in the kennel industry called something called kennel crazy, and it's when the owners become overly sensitive to the noise of a barking dog all right and what it does is it can it starts you it, it it can make you quite angry and 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 yeah and this is what happened to the previous owner he stayed there too many years right so rather than having a kennel full of barking dogs he would just start beating them shut them right. up wow which of course had a bad effect good, on the yeah. business so we give ourselves a four a four-year window and by the end of that, we, I mean, we sold anyway. I mean, I hadn't gone kennel crazy. <laughs> Although sitting there, when we, cel- when we were celebrating the sale of the business, we were sitting in Hamner, and there was two dogs barking at either side, and Hamner's like a fishbowl, so yeah. of course it just echoed. Oh, I swear I wasn't very happy. But, <laughs> but I did go there about it, but, you know, I but thought, you actually, you'd out I got out at the right just time. Just in time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was, the, that was where the, the uh, being introduced to being a business owner. Mm. And then from there, I just, I'd been helping some other kennel owners mm. tidy up their premises. So that started the coaching of other business owners. Okay. And I did that for a hobby for three or four years mm. before I... Uh, I decided to go out on my own. Mm. I, I, I 
do the scaling up New Zealand thing. Mm. Mm. So, so what, was what year was that then? So that was in 2009. Okay. Yeah. 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 My wife threatened me she said, never to do that again. Or she will kill me apparently because she was six months pregnant so oh, okay. we we we, <laughs> we, we had uh, you're uh, squeezing all the life transitions into one absolutely <laughs> so we had, we were we had two great paying jobs and she went on on obviously leave just before uh having Lachlan and yeah. and then I decided I was going to go on my own so we are let's just say our our revenue for the household revenue for the following year dramatically reduced right <laughs> yeah, it's always told never again to do anything as silly as that but yeah, you gotta do these things yeah yeah you gotta do them yeah. yeah well if you don't then you don't want to live with regret right well that's right <laughs> well, they, always, they always say as well it takes a, set, a certain kind of crazy person to run their own business yeah so was there a right. point when you thought right this is it despite you know new babies coming and we've got steady jobs and things you thought no no matter what this is the time yeah, it was an interesting conversation because I had, in my naivety, and I'd, I'd approached a couple of web design companies. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to create a website that was effectively an online CV that showcased some of the stuff, some, some of my approaches, etc. Uh, and then listed my, my experience, etc. And of course, the the first website guy I met, he says, "Oh, so you haven't you haven't heard of LinkedIn yet?" Then <laughs> I says, "Linked what?" <laughs> so yeah, he introduced me to LinkedIn, but we had a two hour conversation. And that time, he had three things that he was going to walk away and work on in his business just from talking to me. Mm-hmm. I had six different blogs that he wanted me to write, and what we ended up doing was actually launching Dave Soul Limited and Dave Soul's a business on the website right and that was how it started yeah and then for me to then start building my network i joined a, a bni and that was it but it mm. took 14 months to get any real business from that networking sort yeah of area. so tell me about that <clears throat> 14 months like how did what are the stages that you go through oh, yeah <laughs> what did you learn from that what did i learn from that uh, patience yeah <laughs> without a doubt i i i uh, consistency in just doing things. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, and you know, and consistency from you know, getting information out in there through the blogging and and I was writing for business blogs, several other websites at the time. Like I say back in two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten. Yeah, I, I helping. So again, I was I I did a lot of stuff for free initially yeah uh, so that people could just getting your name understand out there. my approach mm-hmm. and then they could start talking. So there was a lot of grafting mm. with no certainty whatsoever that revenue was going to come. I got, yeah. a, I had a, one company. I had a, I got a managed to get a contract for three days with a company, which like that put some bread and water on the table, mm-hmm. and that that kept me sane uh, while I was start using the other, the rest of the week to try and. Build up, build up, yeah, the, yeah, and, and and get the network starting to work for me, and within a year, that's that momentum started to happen, right? And I managed, and then I was able to drop the three day contract, and then just just yeah. do my own thing. But yeah. it was, it's not easy. It's yeah. not for the faint hearted. I mean, you do go through highs when you get that first client, and then you go through the lows when you you look at your bank balance at the end of the month, and there's nothing coming in, or there's hardly anything coming in, yeah. Uh, so it's, it really is a roller coaster ride. Yeah, it's not so for the faint-hearted. So, what keeps you going at that point? 
my belief that there was a better way of running a business. And to be fair, even back in those days, I, mean, I don't know, I didn't know half back then is what I know now. Mm-hmm. And in all fairness, and that's, uh, but with what I did know, I knew there was a better way. Mm-hmm. And it was just that drive to make, just make better business leaders. Mm-hmm. At the time, I didn't understand the purpose behind that which I'm I'm very clear on now, but uh, it it was just this drive to, there's a better way of doing things. Mm. Uh, We can make these smaller to medium-sized businesses more successful. Mm. Uh, And I I wanted to be that person in the the background that was helping out. So in a way, coming back to your job, selling, you know, things on the West Coast or whatever, that that approach of relationship and finding out what the need is and then, how can we help? Yeah, it's, very much so. It's very consistent, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely. And it was always the approach I took. Yeah. 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 And I and if I could turn around something like the Bunny Lodges, uh, and in retail, I was a, in my early days as a retailer, I was a troubleshooter. So they would put me in as a hot-headed 19-year-old into one of the worst performing stores in the country and tell me to sort it out. Literally. There wasn't much guidance into how to sort it out, but just you've been on a management course with us, sort it out. Right. Go for did. it. Yeah. yeah. And then say 18 months later, it was on to the next one. 18 months later, on to the next one. Yeah. You've mentioned a word a couple of times now, which is networks. Um, I'm just curious about that um, in terms of what you've found is the most valuable for building a business. Um, how do you find the right people who then um, can help to spread word about what you do? Yeah, that, yeah. I don't know if I've completely nailed that, but I know that uh, you know when I first started off, I went into BNI and and... My thought process at the time was that there's all these large coaching companies that mm-hmm. that that take care of all the big bigger companies, but mm-hmm. actually, who takes care of people like myself that we've just set out on our own, mm-hmm. uh, or we've got a couple of staff uh, because they don't have the 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 huge uh, buckets of money that they can pay for these larger uh, coaching organizations and i felt that there was a space there where there would be those people were being left out and if we could educate those people very early on mm. we can grow so then we're getting them on the track early on and bni was really good for that because there was a lot of people in that there were small companies there's very very few very large companies within in bni mm. so it it seemed to me like it was a place to go and it was a target rich environment mm. so that was how i picked that network that type of network and I would do other things as well like go to the chamber of commerces and commerce and they would do the tabletop events and so we'd either have a table or we'd just turn up and 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 just immerse myself in that or those events and Mm. that type of thing where uh, there was a lot of start entrepreneurs as they call them startups uh, uh, startup phase wasn't really used that to be fair 10 years ago yeah uh, it's a more recent thing but uh, but there was there was a large concentration of those type of business owners mm. uh, in those areas and so I thought right well that that's where I need to be yeah mm. oh that's good so that's how I started off yeah well I'd love to talk a little bit about what you're doing now mm. and the reason that we connected is that I was at a coffee and jam event that Ministry of Awesome ran mm. and you you gave a pitch and talked about some of the things some research i think and yeah. things um could we just go there a little bit yeah and definitely just talk tell us a little bit about some of the key things that you're 
you know, finding and involved in, and in particular, because the type of listener to this show, um, they're real wide ranging, (laughs) but many of them are involved in business or doing different things in different ways. So I'm keen for them to be able to extract things that they can learn and um, be challenged by. Mm. Yeah. So I'd always had a fascinating fascination with with the people side, uh, it, it seemed to be what I, it's, it's what I love doing, which is why I, I guess I was like I said before, I never used to sell anything. I used to figure out what their pain points were because it was easier to connect with people at that level, and, I, and it was really important that I made that connection with people. Mm. And what happened? So, the, in my early management career, just very briefly, I one area manager nearly broke me. Mm. mentally broke me hmm. i demoted myself at one point right. i sent myself packing home i had to stay at home for months to to recover i got an assistant manager's job as i came from a branch manager's position and still under this awful area manager but it was it was the only thing i could do to protect myself mm. and then uh and another area manager from a different wing of the company uh tapped me on the shoulder and said I've got a store down here in Perth. I want you to to run it. And I said, oh, I don't know if I can. He's just like, and and he used to be my branch manager when I was very in, in my very early days in retail. Mm. And he says, look, you've got the capability. I understand what's just gone down. Let's get you out of that environment, right. and let's get you in here, and let's let's make this happen. So I did, and I and I grew, and I grew really quickly. Mm-hmm. And I've always been fascinated by the how how can you have two area managers in the same organization and one literally destroys people and the other one grows people. Hmm. But why are they both allowed to be in the same organization? You know, how, how is that two standards allowed to run simultaneously? And and they both shaped me uh, uh, significantly. And a, a few years ago, three, four, three years ago, I I fired two clients, literally one month after the other one, and they were good sized clients, and I fired them because the uh, the owners had effectively they had not been authentic, and I'd been working with them for a number number of months, but their true spots came out, and 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 they were, and, and it was an interpersonal thing with, them, and they they basically. Uh, ridiculed and shamed, fested uh, another one of their senior managers in front of the group, and they thought it was perfectly acceptable to do that. Mm-hmm. And having taught everything that I taught, mm-hmm. it was a case of they, they were. Uh, I, I pulled them out and said, "Look, this is this is not acceptable. Mm-hmm. You can't behave like that." And the f- first one turned around and says, "But I'm the CEO of the country. I can do whatever that if I want." Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I'm the owner of my own company, and I've just fired you, and I and I walked away from that. And and the questions that I had after that, and then I had a similar incident, like I said, the following month. Yeah, and I'm going. What's going on here? How can I be putting these best practices from world uh, from around the world in here? Yet these people still behave the way they do towards other people. It's mm. not right. Mm. So I started doing some research into this and and into how and uh, yeah how how this phenomenon happens and I came across some really fascinating stuff mm. really fascinating stuff coming out of Europe so, so I had to start learning how to read research papers and things and, and there, there's nothing academic about me or my history at all I failed in 
in secondary school. Okay, I did go back to college for a couple of years, but mm. it's fairly tame stuff. It's not heavy academic. So I, my, my, my wife now is a scientist, and uh, so she I, I got her to start helping me with some of the research part of the papers. Right. Saying, what's this mean? <laughs> what's that mean? <laughs> I, I did sit there with Google to say, what's that word mean? And go and look it up. And, yep. you know. But anyway, I came across this fascinating piece of work. And it said that oxytocin drives parochial altruism. I didn't understand the yeah, title. Yeah, you've got to break that down. I will yeah. break that down. <laughs> so in, in, so in, the brain, in, the, in the brain, we have four uh, reward hormones. There's dopamine, which rewards us for achieving things uh, and making decisions. There's serotonin that rewards us for being generous uh, and for showing and receiving respect. And that's what binds leaders to their followers. There's oxytocin that rewards us for helping others. And that's what brings the group together. It's how we work well with others uh, and showing trust. Oxytocin is also called the love drug. And it's the, it's, it's oxytocin that bonds babies to mothers and mm. that sort of thing. Yeah. And then there's endorphins as well, which is effectively our painkiller right? and allows us to, to deal with the stress. So it, 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 uh, uh, kills the pain in muscles as well which is why we, we're hunters and gatherers and we can walk for miles and miles and miles but in a modern environment as well of course uh, it also deals with stress in the in the mm. brain mm. allows us to think clearly right which is why exercise is so important which as is well, why right? exercise like, is so important if you if yes. you're so busy that you never have time to exercise it's a vicious cycle right yes <laughs> it absolutely it is yeah. but all those four reward hormones reward hormones make us feel wonderful right you get a hit of any of those four and you're gonna you're feeling great but so this so I, I I'd already done some I'd found some research around that and so I was already intrigued by these four reward hormones and then when I saw this research paper that oxy, oxytocin drives parochial altruism I went on to Google what is parochial altruism <laughs> <laughs> and parochial is 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 a person defined by the group that they belong to and that and and that group is either defined by religion ethnicity or language. And an altruism, of course, is the self-sacrifice to the right. group. So yep. I'm thinking, okay, so we're going to self-sacrifice. So oxytocin drives self-sacrifice to a group that is defined through its language, ethnicity, and okay. So, so, so I'm starting to okay, right? I get, I get that. So I, I, I read the 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 piece of research, mm-hmm. and the conclusion. And it's really interesting with this research because what the what the the academics do, and they're going, well, this is we have proven that this actually is the case, da, da, da. full stop, end of sentence, end of research paper. But, but they never then go, but this is what this means in, in a business environment or a church group environment sure. or a scout environment. They just, they just don't draw the correlation. Yeah. They've done the academic side, but yeah, they that's haven't it. linked it to and the real happy. world. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I read it and I went, oh my word, this is the underlying reason why office politics and silos happen. Mm. And so what happens here, briefly, is so when, 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 when you feel safe in a group, mm. uh, or say, say, take your office, all right? So we're, we're, we're all on the same page and everybody, you know, you, the, the partners have got a great strategic vision and, mm. and, everybody, and it's well communicated and we know where we're taking the company. And everybody within the company feels safe, okay? So what happens then is parochial altruism kicks in when... The group, so this is the entire company, is being threatened 
and in this case it will likely be from an outside factor so it could be the, there's a competitions moved in nearby mm. or or maybe the landlord sold the building from underneath you so the whole group gets together to find another place or mm. you know the, the group feels it's one mm. okay mm-hmm. so that's parochial altruism working really well mm. now if for that for instance your the, the partners haven't got that strategic direction and they're working to their own agenda at that senior level and the associates and the other lawyers in the in the firm have a natural affinity to one partner or the other. So what happens is, if a partner demands something of a, of of a group within the office, and they can't provide, then they're going to start feeling threatened. So when they are under survival, when that, that when they're feeling threatened, and th- and they're threatened obviously won't be physical threatened; it will be through mm. stress and and to do lists, etc. Mm. What happens is they go into self-preservation mode, and they will then, if it's one individual, that one individual may rally some people, close people around them to protect them. So then, what happens is you get a splintering off of the big group, mm-hmm. purely because of survival. It's oxytocin is driving this as well. And and then what happens, so then you've got these little pockets of people within a large organization that are just looking after themselves. And if they, in, in what they do to look after themselves, becomes aggressive to other departments, mm. well, that's, that's, that's an unfortunate byproduct. It's not their fault. They're just looking after themselves because the boss is an evil tyrant or mm-hmm. whatever. All right. So, so that's that's oxytocin driving that, and it's driving these silos. But it's it's only driving that because there's not a safe environment. So when we get to the point where, so so, it's it's really important for me to drive the fact that leaders, you you need to be leading. You you're you you shouldn't be in a position of leadership because you're great operationally, and this is where the business model is fundamentally broken and has been since the industrial age. Where you uh, leaders get promoted because operationally they're brilliant, and they get recognised for that because operationally operational brilliance puts money on the bottom line. So when when that happens, then they they'll get pushed up the ladder. And yes, they might be leading some people, but again, if they're operationally brilliant as part of that role, they'll get pushed up again. Mm-hmm. And at some point, so I, I I doubt me there's ever a partner in the legal industry or the accounting industry mm. that doesn't have a full complement of clients because operationally they've so, because that's their operational brilliance. Now mm. they've got great clients, great client base, bringing in lots of revenue, and they get into that partnership role, and it may be just by hopefully hopefully good management but more often than not it's just chance that if we if they are good with the people it's because they're naturally better with people right but more often than not they're not and that they're operationally brilliant but now we've got a partnership at the top of an organization that's operationally great but can't lead the way out of a paper bag Mm -hmm. the whole business model since the industrial age is just fundamentally broken because we're driven by profit not by people Mm. and where i want to change is that if you if, if a leader gets a, a a promotion, it's because they are brilliant with people, not operationally brilliant. Mm. Right? Because we've got we should have people in the teams that do the operational stuff, and and if the leader's really good, they will they will excel, mm. and the leader will develop them and develop their capabilities, and and operationally they'll be sound. Mm. But if a leader can't do that, they've got no right to be a leader. Mm. 
it's fascinating. That's my true purpose. That's my passion. That, yeah. That's, that's where it's all gone from. Right. Because and how do you unlock that in an organization, right? <clears throat> well, that, and, you know, and that's the challenge at the moment. That's the challenge yeah. we're facing at the moment. So the, the, you know, one of the, one of the steps we're doing is, is compiling all this research. I mean, that's just one facet of what we've discovered. Mm. Uh, and, uh, so it's, it's the, of the books about to hopefully come out in August, September. Mm. Uh, the first draft of it has gone out to, be probably uh, ripped up and started again, but uh, <laughs> it's out there for scrutinising at the moment. So I've yes. got several people that are that are sitting with it just now, and and they've been given some uh, a, a guideline as to what to look out for. Yeah. Does this make sense? And is that the, is that the main topic of the book? The, yeah. So at the moment, I'm calling it safe leadership uh, and uh, beat stress mm-hmm. uh, to drive performance. And and the reason why I say that is because. And, and I think I stood up and I uh, at that coffee and jam thing mm. uh, uh, talk and said there was that all interpersonal problems are because of stress. Mm. And I would go one step further than that, and I do get pushed back on this, but I've yet to be uh, shut down on an argument basis for that, is that there's no such thing as a toxic employee. There are only employees that, where the leaders do not understand or have not supported sufficiently. Tox- toxicity. Nobody lies in bed in the morning. And I said this at the coffee and jam and goes, right, today I think I'm just going to make Stephen's life hell. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah, I, he looked at me the wrong way yesterday. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to make his life a misery. We don't think like that. Most of the vast, vast majority of us will lie in bed in the morning. Well, I will go off and go, right, okay, right, off to work. Like, mm-hmm. What do I have to do today? And they'll go through the to-do list and, right, I'll try and nail this. I'll try and do that. And, 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 and they'll turn up and then it'll all go pear-shaped mm. and it's maybe maybe their tone of voice is is not right when they talk to a peer because they're under so much stress mm. or they'll start they'll talk about someone else behind behind somebody else's back because they're frustrated mm. but that and, and, but that that's that there's that toxic there's that backstabber person and mm. and those four reward hormones uh, uh, produce positive and negative characteristics so so for instance the uh, uh, are you familiar with the disc profiling? Mm-hmm. So, yep. so your disc, you've got the dominant, the dominant person, yeah. all right? Mm-hmm. Dopamine fueled. You've got the influencer, serotonin driven. Mm-hmm. You've got the steadfast or steady person, that's oxytocin, mm-hmm. the rock. And then you've got the conscientious, that's endorphin. But when those are those are stressed, the dope, the, the 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 decisive uh, dominant person becomes a dictator. Mm-hmm. The the uh, influencer becomes a manipulator. And the steadfast becomes the backstabber, and the conscientious becomes the perfectionist, yeah. and they're they're the same. They're the same behaviors, driven by the the need for that reward hormone. Because and the reason why we're all slightly different is because the reward hormones we get in our brain are fire. Uh, uh, our brain produces them at different levels, hmm. which is which is why some of us will go with the dopamine way because actually we get a way bigger hit of dopamine than we ever do out of endorphins. Hmm. So. I'm going to achieve stuff mm. rather than be detail orientated in mm-hmm. logical thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how it happens. But of course, when we're stressed, mm-hmm. with the negative happens as well because we still want that dopamine hit. But yeah. we 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 do it in a different way. We do it for ourselves, not for the team around us. Mm. And that's in the book as well. There's lots yeah. lots of stuff. It, so it, it just keeps. Keep it sounds going. like it. it so if people going. are interested in the book, wh- where will be the best place for them to find out about it? Like, I, I, at the moment, or? at the moment, it's on LinkedIn. So there's yeah. there's a new website that's 
being uh, developed at the moment and it's just davesool.nz yeah uh, there is a landing page up there at the moment it talks a little bit about uh, the the approach from the program that's been developed as yeah. a result of this research i uh, i'm hoping in the next three or four weeks that i'll be up and running and on the home page there's you, for those that want uh updates on the book through. they can they can uh, sign up sign up yeah, yeah and yeah. express an interest etc yeah but it'll be on the linkedin and on the facebook as well so. yeah well what we'll do is in the show notes we'll put links to anything that you send me okay and then yeah. people can just scroll down so there's just so people are aware there's a little description of what we talked about and then there's links within it so mm. they can just click and find cool um the thing that i find really fascinating about what you're talking about is in a way you're talking about paradigm shifts from the old way of doing business to a new conception completely. of leadership and operations completely and that really resonates with me because i'm doing a lot with social enterprise mm. and social enterprise is about looking at the old paradigms and saying actually there's a new way yeah, because the old paradigm was you want to do good, you start a charity. You want to make money, yeah. you start a business. And the new paradigm is saying actually we can you combine can both. profit and purpose yeah, yeah. to actually advance impact. Absolutely. And um, the ter- the phrase is social enterprise, but I'm kind of using the term impact more and more Definitely. because it's. Yeah. Um, but the point is, it's it kind of it's almost like an echo of what you're talking about, which is this sort of paradigm shift towards a greater understanding of the wellness of a whole person you know yeah, and, and how do we empower them in the same way that that's what social enterprise is often about is actually we've got people in our organization we need to take care of them and yeah. often the people <clears throat> we employ wouldn't have employment elsewhere you know so it's this yes it's, yeah. there's a lot of resonating yeah definitely in, in what you're talking about you know and the driver and this i i came across i i i a chap called Tim Jones, uh, mm-hmm. the Grow Good guy, and, and I was sitting number uh, two on this podcast, actually. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he was. He was. I, I was sitting in on one of his presentations, and he was challenging the the class around purpose, and that and it really hit me. And I thought my purpose was clear. Yep. Uh, uh, until then, and but it wasn't, and it was for me now. Uh, it's if I can equip the leaders to deal with stress because stress is the modern day saber tooth tiger and grizzly bear mm. that we were wired for back in the hunter gatherer days. Mm. If they if we can if we can have leaders both deal with their own stress but identify what stress looks like in others and nip it really early, mm. then everybody goes home from work happy. Mm. When we've got that going on, then we've got mums and dads at home that are happy. Mm. And they create a better environment for their children. And then we break the cycle then of that stress coming home and breaking that. And there was the purpose. If I can, if I can actually boil down to it, if I can remove bullying and the stressors uh, accumulating in the workplace, the the entire society benefits from that. Yeah. Uh, going back into the home. And then, and, and how we raise our children, and then the next generation will. So that's that's my driver. Which which it's the same driver for me. If I, as a lawyer, can I empower people to set up businesses that are not just having social responsibility, which we want, yeah, but actually having impact, yes, yes. in a positive way. So it, what you're saying, it's it's almost like we're on parallel train tracks, completely, you know, like completely, and it's about in, envisioning what our future involves in yeah. terms of the role of business the role of leaders the role of 
operations like it's Very all interconnected so. isn't it, it? it absolutely it is yeah. yeah and i think many the, the vast majority of leaders take on leadership role not really understanding the impact the longer term impact that they can make yeah yeah on a good or a bad way yeah well that's yeah. the thing yeah well that and that's the challenge hopefully the people listening can take something from this and mm. actually step back and think about their role within the organization and you know because i was really struck by something recently somebody said um each of us are leaders of ourselves you know it's kind of yeah trite in a way but you know the point is we each control ourselves and and sometimes we blame well i can't do it because that person isn't empowering me or i'm just the lowest in the structure chart but actually, we, if we're really into whatever it is, you know, if we want to have impact, then each of us can contribute in a meaningful way Absolutely. beyond the job description. Absolutely. And so that's, I think, a yeah. really important part of it. And, and on that as well, you don't have to be a leader mm. to, to behave like a leader. Mm. You know, there, there's many unsung leaders in an organization that they're, they're, on, the, they're on the factory floor, but they command more respect. Yes. And they do more for the people around them than the people that have got a leader title. Yes. You know, it's, you, and, right. and, it, and, it's, and it's about being able to connect with people and, and helping them through understanding what their stress is and helping them through that yeah. and, and, and developing to the point where actually they don't get stressed by that anymore and they can improve their capabilities to do greater and better things in the future. Yeah, no, I agree. That's good. Mm. We've solved everything. <laughs> That's right. Well, no, we have to read the book and then we'll solve everything. <laughs> right. um, well, what we'll do, yeah, um, let's just keep an eye out. Let me know when the date is that it's yeah, we'll coming do. out and stuff. And we'll put it in the show notes um, as much as we can. Yeah, yeah. And then people can have a look around for it and things. Yeah, um, put it out there in the big bad world now. So there's no pressure. I've, got to, I've actually got to get happen. the key. It's yeah. going to happen now. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's good. Well, David, it's been great to have you on the show. I oh, really appreciate you your me. time. And it's just fascinating to hear people people's real stories you know like mm. the hard childhood and where you came from the chance to reinvent yourself in new zealand building mm. up networks and then what's that led to in terms of the sort of role you're playing today yeah. in helping other people in the leadership of their businesses so mm. yeah just want to say thanks so much for your time really appreciate it thank you well, i hope you enjoyed that conversation with dave i know for me there were several things that stood out and i really enjoyed some of those thoughts about leadership in business and what is it that we're elevating and what we think is important. If you enjoyed this, then check out some of the other episodes in the back catalog and keep an eye out for Dave's book, which will be out in a few months. Until next time.